Why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? Dear brothers and sisters, this, these words are, is, form the challenge that come to us this morning. They come to us and they challenge us about our faith. You know, this uh, event that's recounted in St. Mark's Gospel, Jesus has been teaching all day, all day. He's in a boat, Simon's boat, a little distance offshore, and the people are all standing or there on the shore. It forms a kind of natural amphitheater for his teaching. And so he's teaching, and he's finished his teaching, and he surprises the apostles, the disciples, by saying, let's cross to the other side. The other side is the eastern side, the Gentile side. So the first thing the apostles might have been saying, why are we going there? Why are we going there to that side? And then as they go, fishermen as they were, this tremendous gale comes up. And as St. Mark says, waves were breaking over the boat. And it's, you know, water's already filling the boat. And there's Jesus fast asleep. Fast asleep. Why? He was exhausted. And, you know, if anybody's been, like, for example, on a long car trip and you have the good fortune that you're not driving the rhythm of the car, well, you'll fall asleep. You'll fall asleep, and that's exactly, Jesus was in deep sleep, you know, as I was reflecting on this this event, this passage, it made me think of my niece, who's 27 years old now, but when she was very little, she was very little, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure the parents will remember, there were these uh, little swings that you could have in your house, you crank it up, right? And so whenever uh, my niece was a little bit, you know, rammy and needed to have that, when we needed her to have a nap, you just put her in the swing, crank it up, and get it going, and she'd fall fast asleep. She'd fall fast asleep. And I always thought, wow, isn't this great? That's why I remember it, you know? You know, I could tell sometimes at Mass, if only we had swings at the end of the pews, you know, and the parents could just crank it up (laughs) and just say, you know, here you go, here you go, right? Right. Or perhaps some of you know, as I do, people that are very hard to wake up. You know, you go in, you got to wake somebody up. Maybe they got to go to work or got to go to school or gotta, whatever. And you walk into their room and you try to get them up and you just can't get them up. And the thought crosses your mind, is this person alive? And then you wait and you realize they're, they're breathing, right? And then you've really got to get them up. Got to get them up. And it's, it can be really hard to get somebody up when they're in a deep sleep. Why are they in such a deep sleep? Because they're content and they're secure. They're secure. They're at peace. Very, very deep sleep. And that's how it was with Jesus. So here the apostles, they were already apprehensive about where they were going. Now they're in this violent storm. It looks like it's going to be murder for all of them. And they wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, get up to teacher. Don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus gets up, sees what's going on, and he immediately, as Mark says, uh, he woke up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, quiet, be still. He actually said, shut up. (laughs) That's what he did. He said, shut up. And immediately, everything became calm. And the apostles, you can imagine the apostles' reaction, seamen as some of them were, you know, fishermen, right? And they say, wow, we were afraid of the storm, and look what this guy can do. We were afraid of the storm, and look what this guy can do. 
Not that they should have been surprised. After all, earlier in Mark's gospel, Jesus had cast out demons. He had healed the sick. Many, many people he had healed. Preached this powerful word which resonated in the hearts and the minds of his listeners. And here he does this, and Mark simply says, They were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this whom even wind and sea obey? They were really struck by the Lord's power. In that companion reading, the first reading, that passage from the book of Job, it's at the end of the book of Job, but it's instructive because, you know, what does Jesus question the apostles? He says, where is your faith, right? And Job is an instructive example for us today, dear brothers and sisters, because at the very beginning of Job, God says to Satan, you know, Satan is depicted as this angel that's in the celestial court, bad as he is, and uh, God says to, to Satan, have you noticed my, my servant Job? He's so pious, he's so holy, he's, so, he's devout. And in essence, uh, the devil turns to uh, the Lord and says, big deal. He says he's richly blessed. He has everything he could possibly want. No wonder he loves you. No wonder he's devout. No wonder he's pious. But take his things away from him and he'll curse you to your face. And God liked that challenge. He said, fine. Take everything that belongs to him, but don't touch his person. And then the book of Job is launched. And what happens? Job goes through terrible misery. If you've never read the story from beginning and end, you really should. Job goes through tremendous misery, and he never curses God. He does throughout the book proclaim and declare his innocence that this is through no fault of his own, which his friends would not believe. His friends would not believe. And at the end, God meets with Job and the friends that are there and reveals his power and that his ways are beyond human ways. So where do we get strong faith, dear brothers and sisters? Where, where do we get unshakable faith so that we're not afraid. Somebody asked, once asked uh, St. Therese of the child Jesus, how does one become holy? And she immediately said, by becoming little. By becoming little, by becoming childlike. And that's so really important. Why? Because a child is just totally trusting on the father. Totally trusting on the parents. For well-being, And St. Therese saw that in, precisely in her relationship to God, that she was going to be little before God, and only by being little could her heart be filled up with the grace, the love of God, which she needed if she was going to fulfill her vocation, which she saw as being love. As being love. She even declared it. My, my vocation, which she was so happy to realize this, because she was searching the scriptures and praying and meditating on this, she was wondering, what is my place in God's kingdom? And the insight came to her. Her little way, my vocation is love. I will be love in the heart of the church. Which is so fascinating. Why? Because who really is love in the heart of the church? Jesus Christ. So, in fact... She gives us a very powerful example to be like Jesus. And that's, if we're like that, if we're little, 
you know, and turn our hearts over and trust to Jesus Christ. That's so important. Why? Because when we trust God, that's the greatest compliment we can give to God. When we give, want to say we want to give God glory, that means we've got to trust him. When we don't trust him, that's an insult. That's an insult. But when we trust God, when we act in ways we believe in his teaching and what he says to us, what he tells us, that's giving God glory. And, you know, there's been examples through the church, I can think of three of them that came to mind right away. One was, in a very mundane example, St. Faustina Kowalska. St. Faustina Kowalska was picked by the Lord to be that secretary of divine mercy. Well, she had this really wonderful childlike relationship to Jesus. One time there was this terrible storm that had broken over the, the convent, and she's, it's at night, and she's trying to sleep, and she can't sleep, and, you know, thunder, lightning, rain, the whole bit. And she simply cries out in exasperation, Lord, I'm tired of this storm. Will you please stop it? And it stopped. And it stopped. If only we could all do that. But it stopped. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, that sounds really far-fetched, but not really because Jesus would have been delighted to fulfill that request. Why? Because at his heart was this tremendous trust. I know, Lord, you can do this if you want. Will you please stop the storm? And boom. Another example is uh, St. Pope Paul VI. St. Pope Paul VI, his uh, name was Father uh, John the Baptist Montini, right? And he was preferred, he was recommended for a high position in the Secretariat of State in Rome, and he goes to the interview, and it was at a time near World War II, or perhaps during World War II, and the Monsignor who was doing the interviewing just simply said to all the priest candidates, what would your reaction be? What would you do if Germany invaded Italy? And one priest said, oh, I would leave the priesthood and join the army. Another one said is, I would join the resistance. And another one said, you know, I'd be a partisan. All these people, you know, they're going to take active fight against the Germans. And so the, this Monsignor asked Father Montini, what would you do? And he simply said, I would offer my mass. I would offer my mass. And he got the job. He got the job. He complete trust in God. This is beyond my capability, but I know I can entrust this to the God. Right? Third would be, uh, example, St. John Paul II himself. St. John Paul II, you know, there was a man I, I met, we, you know, heard a presentation from him. He was with the Pope day in and day out as his secretary, and he was asked, what, is the, what was the key central quality of the life of Pope John Paul II? And the person said, absolute fearlessness. Absolute fearlessness in pursuit of righteousness. No? When the Pope recognized what was good in a particular decision, what was good in a particular action, nothing could shake him. Nothing could shake him. So these three, three examples of strong faith, and we're all called to have that kind of faith. How are we going to do it? We've got to take to heart these words from St. Paul in his, letter, his second letter to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, the love of Christ impels us. That's the first thing we have to understand. Another translation says the love of Christ controls us. The Greek actually says the love of Christ takes hold of us. Think of that. The love of Christ takes hold of us. How do we understand that? Well, you know, when we're in love, if we've ever fallen in love, when we've fallen in love, the whole world changes. The whole world changes. Life takes on a completely different, wonderful, marvelous perspective. Marvelous perspective. 
So if St. Paul says the love of Christ impels us, once we have come to the conviction that one died for all, therefore all have died. He's talking about the crucifixion. That God in Christ did that for us. And for everyone. That's how deep is the love of God for us. See, it's not so much about power, it's about love. So, St. Paul goes on to say, He indeed died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves. See, when we're in love, all selfishness goes away. Authentic love. All selfishness goes away. We become self-forgetful. Why? We're thinking about the one we love. Isn't that true? Everybody understands that. And this is the, re- the relationship, the response we are to give to Christ's love for us. So that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Selfishness goes away and one is consumed with the love of God in Christ. So then St. Paul goes on to say, Consequently, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. When we're with Christ's love, we take on a supernatural perspective. An entirely supernatural perspective. We recognize not only that God died, Christ died for me, that I am beloved of God, but everyone is beloved of God. Everyone is beloved of God. God didn't die just for me, he died for everyone. So that all may have the hope of eternal life. So the perspective changes that says that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't long, no longer live for ourselves, we live for one another. Even if we once knew Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him so no longer. He is risen. He is ascended. He is in heaven. He's our Savior. He loves us the most, and we know it because of the crucifixion. So then Paul goes on to say, so whoever is in Christ is a new creation. And this is the beautiful thing. In God, his love is always new. Always new. Never old hat. Every day is a new day. Every day is a new way of experiencing Christ's love. Even in difficult times. Even in difficult times. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. That's us. That's us. Every day to be new. A new beginning. A new start. A new chapter in our relationship with God. What, why, what holds us back from our strong faith in Jesus Christ? It's that American character of being independent and self-reliant. You know, think about it. Sometimes we don't even go to, the, to prayer until we think we have it together, and then we have it together, then we'll show God we've got it together. <laughs> God looks down at us and says, boy, that's crazy. There was never a beatitude saying, blessed are the independent. Or blessed are the self-reliant. No, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What did Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are labor, all you who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my gospel upon you, and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. And here we come full circle back to St. Therese. I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There it is, my friends. There's the key.
So again, the question comes to us, why are you terrified? What holds you back from believing in me? Do you not yet have faith? At this Holy Mass, let us be renewed with a stronger trust in God. Stronger faith in Him. Remember what I said, when we trust Him, we step out into the unknown, we take the risk, being vulnerable in love, vulnerable in our relationships, we take the risk because we trust God that gives Him glory. No greater glory than to trust in the Lord.